My grandma has always said, it's wonderful that you have so many friends, and I agree with her. During the pandemic, I realized how much I miss seeing the people who make my life so bright and interesting, and I wanted to find a way to introduce all of these stars to the world. And so I created this podcast. You, dear listener, will get a chance to be introduced to those who make my world hum with possibility. We will talk about serious things, silly things, sad things, glorious things, and things that make us feel alive. So settle in. It's just you and me. Everyone, hello. We are back. I am thrilled to be sitting across the computer with Elise. Elise, tell me who you are and how do we know each other? Well, I'm Elise Morgenstein first, and I'm a associate professor of religion at UVM, but I'm also half of the duo at Keeping It 101, a Killjoy's Introduction to Religion podcast. Beautiful, yes. And we know each other professionally. I met you because I was annoying and had to come down to Duke (laughs) and then got really sick and had to cancel my visit (laughs) and then came back. That's right. Yeah. I forgot about that part. Yeah, that was horrifying. Oh boy. Yeah. I mean, apparently it made a big impact on me because I didn't even remember. (laughs) Well, I felt horrible because you had been so organized about getting me there. And I was like, yes. Because it was in the moment of doing all these book talks for me. Yeah. And so a lot of people had brought me in and some people were really organized and really on top of it. And other people were like, oh, right. In a week you're coming. Yes. You have a flight. I feel as though that's really just the, that's the, that's the way it goes for everyone. It's either psychotically organized or absolutely nothing. Yes. And because you were psychotically I, I, organized. I get comments where people are like, I cannot believe how organized this was. And I'm like, I cannot believe that you're telling me that other places aren't organized. Like I just, I can't, that blows my mind. Yeah. But it made me want to be your best friend because I was like, okay, this, this is me. Like, I get this. I need all of that information. I need to know when I'm eating. I need to know when yeah. I have time for a break. I yeah. need, cause I need to pack. I need to know if I need, how many Luna bars do I need in my bag yeah. at all times? I want to be as accommodating as possible. I think a lot of that has to do with my like ministerial camp background where like being like hospitality is like so in the forefront of my mind all the time, but also I don't want to be bothered. Like I want to tell people as much stuff as possible so that you don't have to bother me. Yes. No, this is win-win. Cause if you do yeah. it right the first time, you don't have to do it again. Thank you very much. Yes. This is the logic behind my entire life. And people think it's a little cloying and annoying, but I don't give a fuck because guess what? Everybody wins. No, my visit to Duke was one of my favorite because you even included, I have no idea if you do this for everyone, but you even included like, you will walk there. It is approximately this far. And so I like made shoe choices based on how far I needed to walk because those things matter. And it's like, frankly, it's like ableist and sexist not to include those kinds of details. So I, I I see that and I was like, yes. How much more time can I spend with you? This was delightful. (laughs) How much more structured time where then I'll be like, you get to lay down. Like that's my favorite part when I'm just like, this is free time for you. Do not plan anything. Anyways, I need to know more about you. Like, tell me something that's not about your professional life. Uh, I'm a 
parent of two. Mm -hmm. I have two monsters. One is seven and one is three. Mm -hmm. I am a partner and I've been with my human. I'm being weird about that. I've been with Kevin since I I was 20. 12? 20. Yeah, no, we're like that annoying college couple that like we dated other people. Then once we started dating, that was it. Like we are dating forever. I'm pretty sure on the first date, I was like, I'm raising my kids Jewish. So if you're going to marry me, here's what you need to know. And it was like, yeah, I'm into this. Like this is is the energy I appreciate. It's Kevin Jewish. I don't, I don't know. Kevin is, as he likes to put it a nothing. Uh, So he was raised with like a Christmas tree, but he has Mm. a super fascinating background and so Mm. like did not have access to religious spaces as a child and so he was really impressed that I had a culture that like I brought stuff with me and I was just glad that I didn't I didn't have to do Christmas if I didn't want to (laughs) yeah I get it I I get it I have I have this conversation a lot with friends when I'm just like but it's so pretty and they're just like but I just don't want to and I'm like okay Oh, fair confession. The first time we ever had our own apartment. So like, like we're like hot minute at a college. Mm-hmm. I wanted a Christmas tree so bad because I'd never been allowed to have one and they're super yeah. pretty. And we okay. went to the Christmas tree lot and we had like a, like, you know, we were grad students. We had like a $2 budget and oh, yeah. I found a for real Chris, like Charlie Brown Christmas, uh-huh. like naked branch. Uh-huh. And I was like, this is it. This one sings to me. And he was like this. This is what you want. And I'm not joking. It was half my size. Like I have photos of me with a tree and it's just like a branch, but I loved it so much. It was the best. And was that the only, was that it though? No, we did Christmas trees for a few years. And then, and then frankly, I was like, you know what? I'm over this. Like, this is a job. Like you got to get it and you got to decorate it. And it has to like, you know, I mean, a retentive. So like it has to like look right. And it like, it doesn't always look right. But we had like a Jewish Christmas tree. Like half of our ornaments were just dreidels and menorahs. Oh, God bless. Yeah. And the other half were like woodland creatures that I thought yes. was look like they lived in a tree. So this made sense to me. Yeah. I mean, I like, I like that you brought that aesthetic inside. Do the kids, have the kids ever asked for a Christmas tree? No. And in fact, Sila, my older one is like just at that age where being like the only Jewish kid in her class is like, forget it. She was so sad. She was so sad this year. Really? Yeah. She did that she's thing of like. Gra- she's second grade? Second Seven. grade. Yeah. Yeah. She did that thing of like, no one knows about the Jewish holidays. I have to teach them. So we had to like bring in dreidels, which also made me really uncomfortable because I was like, yeah, I don't, I'm not into your public school just like letting a random religious kid be like, here's my religious symbology. Take it home. Also, it's for gambling. Like there are many layers of wrong. <laughs> <laughs> with bringing dreidels to school oh my god but she was like she really had that like south park the lone jew on christmas yeah like Aww. hashtag nostalgia song going on mm-hmm. yeah she was like mad but they also were into you know because it's it's covid so we drove around yeah. on christmas eve just to like go look at lights because i was yeah. like we need an activity oh yeah oh yeah and they were into that like that made them really happy it was like look at all these lights this is crazy pants but the whole time her running commentary was like, they don't know Santa's not real. What's wrong with these people? <laughs> that is very true. That is that is a true thing that uh, I've had conversations about whether or not my friends want to lie to their to their children about Santa. And I am under I am very much living into the magic. So I don't think it's lying, but whatever. 
we need to get to our topic today. And our topic is near and dear to both of our hearts. And that is being a feminist killjoy. And I want you to tell me what the hell does that mean to you? <laughs> well, so I know that for some killjoy is like this horrible word that people yeah. used to be told that like you were ruining everything. You were literally killing the joy in that beautiful compound word way. Yeah. And often it was thrown at women, particularly women who were read as nags or mm. wet blankets or mm. um, shrews. I'm feeling all these words in my heart right now. So it's still, I'm or still crones. That's a good one too. But I, I love being a killjoy because yeah. frankly, I think good scholarship, if you're a really good nerd, everything you should do should be to unpack everything around you and call it out. Not, yeah. not out of a place of hate or a place yeah. even of, um, like bitterness or misery, but really out of a place of like, raise your game, everybody. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like you're not funny if your joke is sexist. Yeah. It's not funny. You could write better. It's lazy. Next, like next. <laughs> and yep. it's even the stuff you love. So I think being a feminist killjoy is putting, um, really like putting non-men, <laughs> so like women yeah. with that X in it, trans people, non-binary folk, uh, everybody who, who has been systematically marginalized and then adding to that, like an anti-racist kind of vibe too. And just like calling it as you see it. And when you can't see it, right. Cause like I'm a white woman, so I don't see everything. It's not as if I don't exist in racist systems that right. produce me as a racist, right? Like it's learning to call yourself out too and say like, oh, that thing I did that sucked. Yeah. Or How like that show I liked. Yeah. That was racist as hell. I need to really think about that. So how did this happen to you? How did you become <laughs> a killjoy? Because I think, I mean, for me, there's a, there's a journey to this, right? I mean, this isn't just like, eh, one day I woke up and I was just like, I'm going to make everyone feel like they hate me sometimes. Like, where did this come from? Well, I kind of think if you asked my mom, she'd say, you're just like this. So I don't... <laughs> Like, I think I honestly, I think like a word that people used to use about me as a child was she's really critical, but in a negative way. Oh, yeah. And I remember thinking, I remember viscerally listening to my second grade teacher in like a one-on-one -on -one meeting be like, you know, Flo, it's my mom's name, Flo, you know, Flo, she's really critical and she doesn't suffer fools. She doesn't suffer fools was a thing on my, on my first grade and second grade report card. That I remember. Yeah, I remember crying because I did not know what it meant. And yeah. my mom was like, you just don't like when people are dumb. That's and I true. remember yeah. being like, sure, but it's not, it's not just that. And so I remember feeling like, actually, I vividly remember feeling like this was a place of myself that needed protection, that like, it was okay that I was mad at yeah. kids for wasting time in class or people being mean and like not wanting to deal with it or like um, being blown off. I didn't like being blown off as a kid, right? Like I'm sure most kids don't like that, but I remember being like, I'm smarter than you're giving me credit for. And I do not like this feeling. Yeah. And so I'm going to yell at you. Like there was a lot yeah. of finger wagging. I was a very big finger wagger as a child. Um, but I think learning how to be a killjoy, which is less like I'm a grump and let me tell you about it. And more like, <laughs> 
and also less about some sort of like bonkers I don't know I don't like the phraseology of like internal moral compass because like Mm -hmm. we are not individuals our moral compasses come from places Mm -hmm. but I think a lot of it was honed in the home I grew up in and then and then brought out in places like uh social justice clubs and activist networks and places that I was exposed to as a kid because my family is like a union family and you know like organizers yeah but then I got to college and it was like oh (laughs) oh all of my classes are just this thing this critical thing and like I'm I like this yeah. And so it was like having that fostered in me in really in a college setting, but certainly before that in different ways. Yeah. And so, you know, you talked a little bit about your family. So do you think that your mother would consider herself a killjoy? No, not even a little. So, so where did, so, okay. Where does that language come from? Yeah. I think it comes from being an academic and from yeah. being a little bit okay. radical and from being, you know, like uh, snarky. Like mm-hmm. I fancy myself kind of funny. Yeah, <laughs> so I, I think, well, thanks. I think some of that reclamation language of like, how do you really describe yourself? And are you comfortable with being seen as an angry, bitter, crony, shrewy woman? And I think, yeah, yeah of course I am. I got mm-hmm. a lot to be pissed off about. Yeah. What are you pissed off about? I mean, like generally. Yeah. <laughs> I think I I just want people to get a picture of killjoys because I actually think that many people are more, more of killjoys than they think they are. But I think they're nervous about being called free and being called a crone and. Or a bitch. Or a bitch. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think I'm angry about a C word. My favorite word actually that I've been reclaiming, but I mean, I do, I do actually love the C word, but it is very mad. See you next it is Tuesday. a hot topic word. I think that it grosses people out a lot. That's also true. That's also true. Anyways, what, um, are, you, what are you a killjoy about, Elise? I guess <laughs> all the stuff, right? Like misogyny, racism, ableism, injustice broadly. I think, yeah. I think, uh, I don't think that makes me necessarily like good at it or, right. um, any anything like I don't think that does anything for me like in some sort of like valuation way but I think I think injustice broadly is the good way to put it okay and I think I mean I so I'm going to ask you a couple more personal questions just because I think that my personal um killjoyness is definitely there's some internal shit going on right and so you talk a little bit about ableness for you because I think that that's like your personal story about, about ability, like is, is, is kind of pushing you into this killjoy status because you want to be a person who's like, fuck you. I am like, I'm living in this and I, and I need other people to be heard. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's part of it. I don't know that I would have identified with that really Mm. more than five years ago. I'll be totally honest. So like, I'm a person that lives with chronic illness. I have arthritis. Um, and I have other kinds of things that stem from that. So like mm-hmm. psoriasis, which most people are like, it would skin, but like really if my joints swell, then my skin flares up. And if my skin flares up, then my joints swell. So they're like uniquely tied together. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, 
which is to say nothing of like how appearances and wellness is geared on, especially on women's bodies about like how your skin looks mm -hmm. or feels or uh, any of that. So like, no. whatever. But I was diagnosed with um, arthritic joints when I was 11. Wow. So like a long time. Yeah. But, but I am in my soul an asshole. And so- <laughs> So I'm going to keep digging and you're going to be like, no, no <laughs> like I'm being, you don't get it. I'm really an asshole because Great. like at 11, I had all this like pain. Right. And yeah. everyone was like, you should stop doing things like playing soccer. And I was a really competitive athlete. Yeah. And so I was like, you know, fuck you. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not yeah. interested in that. I'm gonna, I'm going to keep playing. And so a lot of my drive is a real, like, you told me I couldn't. Mm. And so now I am like, you mm. told me to stop doing this. And now I'm going to make all the state teams and I'm going to be on a travel league and I'm going to, you know, I'm four foot 11. And yeah. you told me that short people don't throw a javelin. So I'm going to throw a javelin and I'm going <laughs> to be like an all county javelin thrower and set the school record for the javelin. Wait, is that true? That's like legitimately true. Wait, you threw javelin? Yeah, I did. So did I. Also, I. I also threw a shot put, but not well because I'm four foot eleven. Yeah, you don't but well have, enough to you score have the points. Bulk like not bad. Yeah, but like that—that that is who I am in my soul. Like, don't tell me I can't yeah, yeah, yeah. because then I will happily do it, and I will sh like with a shit eating grin, like show you my trophy when I'm done. <laughs> you know, and so I think I have this really hard relationship with my body. Okay. Um. <clears throat> Cause like you, you asked the question of like, where does this come from a place of like ability? Yeah. yeah Cause I just assume that I'm, I'm wrong and that's fine. <laughs> You're not totally wrong, but I think it yeah. like, it's actually like a back door for me. Okay. So like I've got all of that. I've had all of these surgeries for other kinds of like issues. Yeah. And so I've got these like dual things going on where like my body has actively tried to thwart me and I have, right. So like I talk about my body as if it's not entirely part of me, which is like a classic thing in chronic illness. Yeah. But I simultaneously can like, or did run like half marathons and do like, really like, I do like spin classes all the time and like prided myself on being able to do like long hikes, long walks, competitive sports, mm -hmm. like being really athletic. And mm -hmm. so I think I have this dual sense of like my body, the athlete's body and my body, the chronically ill body. And I am well aware that those things can live together, mm -hmm. but I don't think I came into the language of ability and disability, particularly around chronic illness until like five or six years ago. I'll be yeah. totally honest. Cause it yeah. really was like, this is private. This is not a thing I talked about in oh, public. Yeah. This was not a thing that I showed anybody cause don't show weakness. Yeah. That's insane. Why would you do that? That's not how you yeah. win this game. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And right. you don't stop. If the coach says, go give me another lap. You don't say, I can't feel my knee right now. You say, sure, right. I'm on it. Cause yeah. I'm a good player. And yeah. so I don't think all, all of that internalized do more push harder because I was always capable of doing more and pushing harder. Yeah. Even if it cost me some, mm. I think that relationship isn't something that I really started critically thinking about until, um, I think until just after my daughter was born. So maybe like 
six, seven years ago tops. Yeah. I'm like, Oh, why do I do this? Or why is it so inherent or so like important to me that like my body being in pain is not something that anyone ever sees or that I ever talk about. And it's been really conscious to force myself to talk about it. Mm -hmm. Um, not just because I think you should know I shouldn't be hiding pieces of myself right. in publics or right. with with friends even, no. but also because like in learning more about ableism, it's like, oh, I fit all of these patterns for doing a number on myself and for really holding others to a standard that's all about internalized shame and dislike and maybe even hate a little bit. So yeah. how do I... Like, how do I expect myself to treat others well if I'm treating myself so poorly? Yeah, yeah. And so you've talked about this drive that you had as a young person, you know, to to say fuck you to the coaches. I'm gonna, you know, I don't care if you don't think I can do this. Um, how has that manifested in your adult life? <laughs> what do you do now? What do you do now to like, you know, if someone says you can't do it, like, tell me a story about that. I think I'm a professor with two kids before tenure. <laughs> I think, I think with that's- With the podcast. With and the podcast and articles and family <laughs> we care for and community labor that I do and charity work and the rest. Like, I think, I think I'm just obsessively driven. I actually think the cost of it is like, my husband always says, you don't have hobbies, right? Yeah. Like his thing is like, you don't have hobbies. You are constantly at a hundred and yeah. you are at a hundred in this like productivity. So like I, there's feminist killjoy behind me, but there's also yeah. productivity is not a virtue on the other side. Oh, man. Cause like, these are my, like, uh, these are the things I need behind me. So yeah. I have like a like memo to self. So I think, I think, yeah, I think my drive is really just, of course I could do it all. Yeah. And I yeah. think some of that is about ability. Like your question is actually making me think like, is that about ability or disability? And some of it is, some of it's yeah. like, you know, I've had multiple medical professionals say things like you won't be able to walk after your X age or you'll uh -huh. need joint replacement by the time you're 40 uh -huh. or whatever. And so some of my sense of drive really is like, okay, how many good years do I have? Like how comfortable am I now? It's never going to feel better. And so I can handle this. Let's do it. Yeah. Oh, man. Do you ever listen to the, the, you know, the drive? What is the quote you said? What was the behind? Not the feminist killed. Oh, productivity is not a virtue. Do I ever listen to it? Yeah. No. What's yeah. No. <laughs> no, no. That's Megan Goodwin said that to me. It was like, girl, chill. Of course and I was like. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Do you find that you surround yourself with people that are like you and that people, people specifically that are killjoys? Oh, definitely. Purposefully? Definitely. Or that's, yes. just who you, that's your crowd? That's Both. your tribe? Yep. I think I'm at the point in life and maybe, maybe Trump did this. I like, mm -hmm. really, like I'm willing to give that man credit for this. I have never been one, as my first grade teacher would tell you, to suffer fools. But after yes. 2016, I was like, I don't need this shit in my life. I'm out. Yeah. I'm out. And so, frankly, the killjoy part of me is not in my personal life. The people in my personal life are people who bring me just joy. There's no killing involved. It's just joy. 
Right. It's just folks who feed me and nourish me. And that doesn't mean like syncophants or people who just like, you know, give me a high five. I've got lots of people who challenge me to both be better and do better and know more. And, and that's in all different arenas, right? Like that's yeah. parenting, that's partnering, that's the work I do professionally. That's the work I do privately. That's all of it. Yeah. But I have decided that I no longer need, I don't need to be anybody's professor mm-hmm. in my personal life. I don't need to be anybody's mm-hmm. coach in my personal life. Mm-hmm. Like you either nourish me and feed me or like I'll send, like I'll say hi, but I'm out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think that what I, what I think I'd love to uncover and we're starting to do that with this whole notion of killjoys and feminist killjoy is that at the heart of it, it is, there's love. I mean, there's just like, and such a want to, for people to be seen in the way that they should be seen and to be heard. And the challenge is never because like you had said at the beginning to, to push people away. And yes, maybe at the beginning, when you start telling people that white people are racist and you got to fucking deal with it, like that's hard. That is hard to hear, but there's never for me, at least a reasoning behind it. That is, I want to, I am intentionally trying to hurt you. And so I think that, and so, because I think about you and like, you have such heart and such soul that you just shove out into the world that is so true and honest. And so this juxtaposition of like, but also being a killjoy is like almost a reclaiming kind of of the C word that we're not allowed to say. (laughs) Because it's like, it's, it's opposite of what people think it is. Yeah, I think that's fair. And so what, how do you, how, hmm. I'm just wondering like in the classroom, I mean, I know that we were talking more on the personal side, but you know, with your teaching and I think with the ability that students have to be um, much more connected to social justice movements because of the internet, because of each other, whatever, because of globe, the, the globe being much smaller, right? Because we're more accessible. How have you interacted with students on a kind of killjoy level? Like, have you noticed that there's, there's a, a heightened excitement about like, you know, just basically telling people how it is? Yeah, I mean, I think students appreciate that I don't, that I don't, um, I don't bullshit and I don't tolerate bullshitters. And Mm -hmm. so I think my classroom and I have complicated feelings about the language of safe space, but I think my classrooms are, I, I don't like this phrase either, but like, you know, that juxtaposition of like safe space and brave space, like, I don't know if I like either of those, but I think my classrooms can be places where people chat. Mm. because I am not someone who lets a bully run usually his mouth. And I'm definitely not someone who doesn't cut you off mid-sentence to say like, here's what I think you're saying, but here is how you said it. And now we need to address the harm that that caused. And I've spent whole classes being like, cool, we need to undo this work because that is more important. I mean, I say all the time, I love the content I teach. I think the content I teach, right? Like I'm teaching about Islam and race usually and imperialism always. I think what I'm teaching is important. Yeah. However, I'm also not so vain as to think that students actually are going to remember everything. And so if the thing they remember is to like 
not talk a certain way uh -huh. or to like discipline their thinking or to discipline yeah. their mouths. Cause often students really are just, it's like watching my three-year-old, right? Like sometimes he doesn't know the word and he'll like fumble and make up stuff. And yeah. so it's my job to both understand what that fumble meant and mm -hmm. then correct him so that he can get the language he needs so that he's better understood. That's all teaching is. And so if students are, I'd like to assume that most students come at the classroom fumbling and it's my job to give them more vocabulary. Yeah. Some are coming in racist as fuck and it's my job to make sure they cause the least amount of harm in a classroom, period. Have you experienced big transformation with some students? Yeah, I think so. I think a lot of it, I've, I've definitely gotten those emails like four and five years later, like I didn't know what was happening oh. in your class, but oh my God, all these years yep. later, here's how, here's what this matters. Yeah. I've definitely seen students in the course of a semester kind of like turn on mm -hmm. and realize that this isn't, you don't have to just coast in school. You can, school can actually apply to your life. And, and I think that's usually the best work I do also should apply to your life, yes. even though that's definitely not always the case in many no. classrooms. <laughs> and I think being a killjoy, I love being a killjoy professor because I think it means that what I'm, what I'm telling students at the end of the day is that I'm actually demanding that they live up to their promise. Yes. Like promise isn't good enough. Meaning yeah. well isn't good enough. You have to do it. And I tell students yeah. all the time, seeing like a marked up paper, for example, it means that I think you can do better. That when you should be worried is when I'm like, I don't know what to do with this, like C minus. Like when I really have no, there's no entry point. I don't know how to fix this. There's so many things wrong that I don't even know how to give you feedback. Yeah. That's when you should be worried. But when yeah. I've filled up your margins with, with usually green or blue, because red is scary oh. and mean. Yes. <laughs> Like yeah. when I fill up your margins, it means that I see you and yeah. I see that you can do a hell of a lot better. And guess what? Next time you better. Yeah. Like it's a holding accountable. I think that killjoys ultimately are about accountability. Mm -hmm. Can you become a killjoy or is yeah. it in your blood? And if so, how do you, how professor, how do you, <laughs> Um, how do you become a killjoy? Teach us. Tell us. I like to, I think things always start small. So you know me, uh -huh. I'm like obsessed with like the local, the small, the calendar of it all. I'm obsessed yeah. with like, what is wrong with your calendar? How are you not accommodating others by thinking about your institutional calendar? Yeah. But it really is little ways. Like if you're on the phone with your dear aunt, Karen, is she being a butthead? And can you say, you know what, Karen, I didn't care for that. And it doesn't need to go any further than that, but can you set some real boundaries in yeah. your personal relationships mm -hmm. instead of just like, eesh, that's her. Because when you're yeah. saying eesh, that's who she is. I just feel like the thing that you're saying is I don't care enough about you to want better of you. Yeah. And if that's how you feel, fine. Maybe you can't cut off that relationship. But what I hear is you've already cut off that relationship because mm. you've decided that person has no place to go or to grow and that they're not worth your time investment yeah. to like demand that of them. And I also hear that you are not worth that time investment mm. because I'm willing to listen to someone fill my ear with shit 
I am willing to deal with that instead of either saying, I don't want to talk to you anymore, or you know what, if we're going to talk, you need to meet me where I'm at. And so for me, it's like being a killjoy is that simple. Like when you see something, say something, and I'm reclaiming that too. (laughs) Reclaiming that racist surveillance shit and saying like, if something doesn't jive with you, then why aren't you um, having those conversations when those conversations are safe and, um, are safe to have, because not every relationship and not every space is safe to have those kinds of conversations. Right. Right. Absolutely. Um, and are there things that you feel you, you're to the point where you see them so often and you get so frustrated that people just need to stop doing them? Is there, are there things in your life that you've noticed that, I mean, you have, you have taught me so much about anti-Semitism and like how terrible the world is towards Jewish peoples like yourself. Um, (laughs) And I also think your calendar analogy, I think about that all of the time, just thinking about who's, who matters in the space of a calendar, right? I mean, that is like the most basic because everyone has to deal with a calendar and yet so mind-blowing because it's just like oh my god like I didn't even think about the fact that like what's on this calendar right now oh Christmas Easter some federal holidays right so like what's so give me a couple of things that you're like stop fucking doing that people oh man the list is long (laughs) the list is long Julie I think um (laughs) I think mostly it's like I mean, right now it's, it's racism. It's anti-black racism. It's anti-Muslim racism. It's anti-Semitism, all of that. Like, honestly, if your sentence start with Muslims, usually, or Muslims do, then I need you to just close your mouth. Unless you are a fellow, like PhD holder in Islam or, or a Muslim yourself. But even then I want to just be like, if you are generalizing, I need you to shut up. Yes. Um, I'm, Which is great because that's a sweeping. That one is just like yeah, for big. any category of human. Yeah, just don't do it. Good like, work. Hashtag okay. don't. Yeah. I think the same. The same is true when people when people are shocked and dismayed. When people are like, "How could this be America?" No, shut up, white people. You are the oh. Only are you speaking specifically that. of something that may have happened today? We are recording as a white Christian nationalist coup is literally underway. In Washington, D.C. Oh God, unbelievable. And people, so people are like, people are like, oh my some God. Good, them are good people. No, no all cops are all bad. bad. No, sit down. You no. can't be good in a white supremacist situation. No, you can't. It's the same reason why, like when white people are like, but I'm not racist. No, honey, you, oh, you are. are. I am, you are. Yep. That's hard, tough shit. Yep. yep. You might not mean to be, you might even be someone who's doing activism all the time, you are still benefiting from systemic racism. So please be quiet. It's those. I can't like, mm-hmm. I can't handle that. And I'll say I, like with kids in elementary school, the one question I really can't handle is like the, where are you from lessons? Don't do that. Don't do that. It's inherently anti-Black because do Black people get to answer that question without being like, I'm like, how, how does that question go if we're yep. not acknowledging the history of enslavement? And also, yep. like, way to erase Native Americans. Mm-hmm. Because, like, where are you from is inherently, yeah. a, it's like the America is immigration. So yeah. having little ones in school now 
that's a question that I've, I have killed joy in a respectful and meaningful and productive way with their teachers, but absolutely like, don't put this on. I don't want this on the lesson plan. Yeah. Like what How is your you ancestry think? is even a different question than. Yeah. That's what I was curious about. Cause I think like, where are you from? I think a lot of people, I mean, this is like the same with like, you know, just the whites in general, but like, and they're all of the problematic things that we do. I am a white woman, a white woman. Um, I think the problem that's not right, but a lot of times people say, but it's because I'm curious because I want to know about someone, right? So what's what's the solution to that? How do you how do you ask those questions without being like, hmm, you look different from me. Obviously, you are not quote from here. So like what like how can I get around that by I'm, genuinely wanting to create a connection? Yeah, I kind of feel like what I mean. Like I guess I'm gonna throw it back on you. Like why is yeah. the connect? Why is the connection about? No, I don't know where you're from or like what does I'm that collecting you? a united nations of friends Elise, <laughs> and i need to have every country represented well and that's my thing right it's like would you go up to a white chick and be like oh my god your eyes are so blue are you originally from scandinavia you would not you would never i know but and also you might, like, like as, as we have heard many of our brown and black friends report, right? Like no, you hear people no. all the time talk about like your skin tone, your eye tone, your eye shape, your like yeah. all of that. And then be like, what does that say about you? And it's like, girl, shut yeah. the front door. That is so yeah. dumb. And so I also think yeah. you might've brought up this, I can't remember, but the notion of making sure that if in your language you are saying Asian person, black person, et cetera, that you're also saying white because yes. we need to get away from assuming that if I say, oh, Elise is a nice woman. Like if you were black, my brain would probably make me put that adjective in front of it, but why, right? I think, are you the one who've said this before? Yeah, because we're making, because women are, because white people get to be the noun and everybody else needs an adjective because they are a qualified noun. They are a qualified woman, a qualified person, a qualified right. whatever. And that's right. true for non-Christians too. Cause you, you hear it with Muslim, yeah. you could be a white Muslim person and someone will always say, and they're Muslim or he's a Muslim man or whatever, yes. whatever. Yes. And so yeah. like that normativity, that white Christian normativity and like cishet in that way too, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's it's the same, frankly, it's the same concept of normalizing using pronouns mm -hmm. so that it's not just folks who either appear to be gender non-conforming or who mm -hmm. are gender non-conforming are forced to use their pronouns right. and the rest of us just get cis, cis pass. Like you just get yeah. to, yeah, like you can assume looking at me, like I, I, present feminine feminine and so therefore you use she her pronouns it's it's that yeah. kind of denaturalizing your naturalized assumptions about me mm -hmm. yeah I don't know yeah. I, didn't, I didn't invent that but I definitely talk about that I know but I think it's important <laughs> so I think and I think again as a professional killjoy who wants everyone to be happier and healthier and love each other more I think that these are important things that again like are just little tiny things that happen over and over again, many may call microaggressions that, that are really actually heart harmful and hurtful. 
and that's no good. <laughs> yeah. And I think that, you know, when Megan and I on the podcast talk about being killjoys, we often talk about like the editing line, kill your darlings, but we talk about it more like if you can't critique the things you love, mm-hmm. then what do you really know about them? Because mm. nothing is perfect. And I don't think killjoys are asking for perfection. I think they're asking yeah. for honesty. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like yeah. I can talk about things I love, shows I love, mm-hmm. things that have real nostalgia for me and also be able to say, and boy, howdy was the sexist and racist as fuck. And yeah. here's where it's like really glaring and really upsetting. And here are the parts that really mattered to me when I was 15 or mm-hmm. 38 or whatever. Like, I think, I think having that vantage point, it also means, especially as a white woman, you're never off the hook. You don't get to just watch real housewives of whatever and like, turn it off. Like you have to consume the world around you with an eye toward, with an eye towards making good on that promise. How could this be better? Right. Here's the thing. If it was better, it would be better. It's not mm-hmm. going to be worse. The comedy would be sharper. The the news would be more robust, more interesting. It's it's that. It's like that the core of it, if everyone does a little bit better, we all enjoy it more. It's not like I'm trying yeah. to ruin your comedy. Right. The comedy, I think, gets us a lot, like the like PC police or whatever the fuck that is. And it's like, yeah. no, nah, you're just lazy. You're just not good at writing jokes. <laughs> Like, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, you're better, failing better. and right. you're mad that you're yeah. failing. Yeah. Yeah. And that, better. Yeah. And I think, I think right now, I mean, I think this has been coming and coming and coming for so long, but white people have not had to put their head in the ring if they didn't want to for a very long time. And now I think finally the call is coming from inside the house and other peoples who are white are saying no more I'm done like if you're not going to listen to anyone else maybe you'll actually listen to me and I think that that's a really scary place for a lot of people to be but get the fuck over it like that's (laughs) that's where we have to be and you don't have to take on the whole system exactly like that's you start right like you start where you are with what you've got and I don't think um I'm like, no one's perfect. Like I screw right. up all the time, all the time. Oh my right, God, right. I'm messing up every five seconds. But like, yeah. you can, you can, you can still aim to do better the next day. And I think, I think that's why I like this word killjoy. Cause I think yeah. on the one hand, you're, you're, you're like taking a little bit out. Like you're taking the piss like with other people out of the fun that they're having. But you're yeah. also then able to say like, you know, those are the leaky spots. Let's plug those holes up, man. On that note, let's uh, let's switch the sw- switch the um, script for you, and you get to ask me whatever you'd like in my moment of vulnerability. Well, so you wanted to talk about being a killjoy, and you are wearing a killjoy shirt. I'm told in my honor. But what does that mean to you? Like, what's your working yeah. definition of a killjoy? Right. So I think I mean like you know, it was interesting for me to hear that you kind of just were born a killjoy. Um, Whereas I am a born again killjoy, I guess you could say. 
Um, because I think that graduate school specifically, but also some of my interfaith work really pushed me to realize that like people are really fucking shitty and like I have a brain and like ability to try to push people in a different direction. And so I think for me, a killjoy is, I mean, very similar to what you were, you were talking about, just the idea of like, we are all in this world together and critique is not bad and critique is not, shouldn't be scary, even though we are ingrained to think that it is. And so just because someone says, hey, can you think about this a different way? Or can you realize that like, that's actually very harmful to other people? I think that that's, there's so much power in that. And so that's where I really find my love of being someone who's like, I'm not gonna stop telling you that you're racist. And if you have a problem with that, my hope, because you care about me and you, and you don't think that I am saying things to harm you, that you would ask me, you would say, you know what, or, or that we could enter into a conversation. So that it's not just like this bitch trying to make me feel sad. I mean, sure, maybe I am sometimes because sometimes people just need to feel sad. But like for the most part, I am I am trying to change people through love. And I also think it's really difficult because then then in my brain, I'm just like, but you don't know everything and you're not the, you know, um, the holder of all information. So what right do you have to do this? And I think a lot of it is just because of my experience with people who I know who are like, this stuff breaks me and I don't know what to do. And I feel like if I, if there's a space for me to not take their voice, but to carry, carry their story into someone else's life and be like, listen, this is bad. This is harmful. That's really important. And I think it's very, it's a very thin line though, because I think I, you know, I don't ever want to take, as I said, anyone's voice. I don't ever want to take anyone's power. But I do think that because we're dealing with systems of power that a lot of times if you realize that like there's a space for you to speak when maybe someone else doesn't have a voice in that space, um, there's power to that. And I also feel like there's power in then inviting those people in and saying, I've hopefully cleared a little bit of the bullshit so that you can come in. Um, that's, that's kind of what I think about. I mean, that's, that's the real reason why I do the work that I do. You know, that's why, I, that's why I do, you know, like itineraries that say walk 1500 feet till, because I don't do this because I'm like, I love to, you know, organize itineraries and all that shit and do budgets. But I do it because every single person I encounter who comes in and even on the academic side, I have never found anyone who doesn't have passion for justice within especially Islamic studies. I, I really, really, I, I either because they're Muslim and they're like, fuck everybody. Like, are you kidding me? You like, hello, you know, or there's someone who has come into it. People are getting sold the wrong message. And I want to change that. I mean, even, even by talking about the 1850s and India, yeah. right? Like, and God, so that, who would do that? That sounds boring. Oh, that sounds terrible. Okay. So it sounds like you have a, like a good political sense of it. And do you feel like your identity with that word has been more recent or more like oh, since grad school? 
I would say definitely more recently that I've gotten more, I mean, also cause I'm just old too. So I don't care as much. Like, I'm yeah, like, that's part of it. Right. Like it's so yeah. easy to just sit don't care. in who you are and be like, well, oh, yeah. I'm like, Oh, you don't like me. Fine. Like, I mean, but 10 years ago I would be like, but how can I make you like me? You know? Mm-hmm. So we're going to go. Cause that's enough. We've had enough. So everyone, now you're a killjoy. Like you've done it. You made, I'm going to send you a certificate. Every person that listens to this, but the certificate is, is just, it's just in your heart. Like it's not a real certificate. No, it's not real. I thank you so much for being here with me in this moment, in this weird, weird day moment that we had. USA. America. Yeah. USA. (laughs) USA. Okay. America. Oh, you did it. Well, that's it. That's the pod. We did it. Everybody. Good night, everybody. (laughs) Wow. Amir, you did. <laughs> That's it. Thanks for All right. Thanks, me, Julie. And I will, I don't know, probably talk to you in the end. I am so lucky to know such incredible, thoughtful people. And I thank you for listening. Come back soon for another episode of It's Just You and Me.